Welcome to America the Bazaar. I'm your host, Jordan Rausch. And I'm Jeremy. This is a weekly podcast that deep dives into all the stories that made America into the beautiful weirdo she is today. So beautiful and weird. So, jumping right into it, this week's presidential trivia is, which vice president's daughter married his president's grandson? So, which VP's daughter married the president's son? Yes. Grandson. That makes it kind of weird. Maybe. Maybe not. No, they were actually, um, the daughter and the grandson were the exact same age. Huh. The answer will be at the end of this episode, so stay tuned. All right. This is going to be maybe a little bit of a longer one, so are you ready to jump into it? Absolutely. All right. Carl Akeley was born on a farm near Clarendon, New York, on May 19th, 1864. Carl loved animals and being out in nature. As a young boy, Carl would spend a lot of time outdoors painting pictures of plants and animals. You could say Carl's art medium was a little different because it was his own blood. Oh, God. <laughs> little, so, uh... Little, so a little bit of serial killer Yeah, vibes socio, right sociopath. Yeah. Absolutely. After a few years of perfecting his blood art... <laughs> Carl moved on to stuffing the animals. Carl ordered a taxidermy manual and spent hours in his room studying it. Hmm. Apparently, he found an advertisement in the back of a magazine that Sears, he would read. Well, Sears catalog? Yeah, that was like, oh, oh, that hey, Sears catalogs were around taxidermy that early, but... for kids. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So the manual, Clifford, the big red taxidermist. Yeah. One of the manual's <laughs> main rules was that it said a taxidermist should work in secret so that none may know the mysteries of the art, which makes it sound a little like, you know, like a Creepy. magician. Yeah. I was, well, at first I was like, oh, that's like magic. Like, you know, like you learn magic. You're not supposed to tell anybody the secret. Yeah. But I also wonder if they're like, hey, don't tell anybody about this because they'll think you're a weirdo, especially as a child doing taxidermy. <laughs> We're looking out for your best interest. Yeah. Don't tell anybody you stuffed dead animals. It's, it's probably more like protecting trade secrets than anything. Like, they're like, don't teach people this because we want them to buy the book to learn it. Right. But that's I what kind, the. I kind of thinking that it's also maybe you don't want th people to think you're creepy too. Uh, future lawyer in me thinks it's trade secrets. Yeah, like, they probably. want people to buy the book. Carl borrowed thread and scissors from his mother's sewing basket. Nice. Soon his bedroom was filled with stuffed animals, mostly chipmunks, robins, squirrels, and other small animals. Could you imagine, like, nowadays if we gave stuffed animals that were, like, literally... Real animals? Stuffed animals. That were literally just stuffed animals. Like, Henry's just cuddling, like, a tiny baby whatever that's the thing though is like have so you, weird you felt like taxidermy animals before they're not cuddly no they're usually very stiff it's not like you would i don't think would give that to a baby absolutely to go to sleep with. <laughs> so when carl's aunt found out about his hobby she threatened to send him to an insane asylum because she was like oh my god he's just picking up dead animals and <laughs> stuffing them <laughs> Then when she forgot to put a blanket over her canary's cage during a cold winter night, the bird died. Carl stuffed the bird, and after that, Carl's aunt never tried to steer him away from taxidermy again. Carl got his first paying job by working for an interior decorator named David Bruce as his assistant. Bruce had Carl paint wildlife murals in the parlors of rich families in New York and occasionally stuffing a bird or chipmunk that would be displayed in a parlor cabinet. Hmm. So, like... In the late 1800s, people were really into having, like, wildlife in the home, especially yeah. rich people. Yeah. And so they'd be like, oh, my parlor looks like the wild, and I have this cabinet full of, like, basically a wildlife diorama. Yeah. That he would, like, stuff small animals <laughs> for. Yeah. No, like, honestly, we got our friends that have that table, that coffee table that has, like, the seat, like, the glass... I don't know, I guess you call it a diorama. I always thought like some stuffed some stuffed animals would look really good in there. Yeah. Like, you know. <laughs> like a little scene. 
Maybe even some fish. I've seen like I've an seen, aquatic scene. I've seen coffee tables like that where they have like ducks or like fish in yeah. them where it's just glass. Yeah. It's a it's a thing. Yeah. So it quickly became obvious to Bruce that Carl only wanted to do the taxidermy part of the job and he wasn't really into the painting. Yeah. So Bruce had to let him go. Well, but would he have enjoyed it if he would let him use his own blood, maybe? Maybe. <laughs> but maybe. baby Bruce was but like... I don't know if like the people wanted their house painted with blood. The child's you know? blood. Yeah. <laughs> so Bruce convinced Carl also, to... Also, you're really limited... To well, the and size. it's also like, you're like, oh, I can't do that big of a painting today because then I would, like, bleed out, you know? <laughs> right. So, Bruce convinced Carl to apply for a job as a taxidermist at the Ward's Natural Science Establishment in Rochester. So, when Carl turned 18, he went to Ward's to look for a job. Carl saw a man carrying a stuffed giant anteater, and he was like, oh, I bet that guy knows where I'm supposed to ask for a job at. Right, right. <laughs> So he goes and asks him about a taxidermy job, and Carl was pointed towards a building with a large taxidermy apes that was standing on the front porch, and told to go talk to Professor Henry Augustus Ward. Luckily for Carl, Ward's establishment had just landed two huge contracts to supply the American Museum of Natural History with specimens of every known bird and mammal in North America, and specimens of every known monkey in the world. Wow. So... A lot of work to be done. Yeah. And especially one that's already been pretty well trained. Right. I mean, yeah, he's pretty well self-trained, yeah, which yeah. is a, saying a lot for this time and age. Like, yeah. not a lot of people are trained in taxidermy right. in the 1800s. Do you think more or less than... Oh, like today? Yeah. Definitely less. Yeah. Way more people today, I think, are trained in taxidermy. Just easier to get the... To get entail. Yeah, I guess you got YouTube instead of just having to read. Right. Carl was to report for work at 7 a.m. to work his 12-hour shifts for $3.50 a week, so about $89 a week today. Hmm. Um, But he had room and board taken out of his salary, which I'm not sure was how much, but so then he even got less money. Yeah. And then he would also be given no holidays or sick days, so like a real, a real out of... High school job. Yeah. <laughs> the main rules of the job were no smoking and no sleeping on the job. Those were mm. the two main rules you had to abide by. The process of stuffing an animal at wards was to treat the skin of the animal with salt, alum, and arsenic soap. Many of these guys tend tended to lose the feeling in the their fingertips after yeah. a while, after messing with the arsenic soap for a while. Probably. The bones of the animal would be taken out, wrapped in wire, and then placed back into the animal, and then the carcass would be stuffed with either straw, sawdust, or rags, or like a combination of the three, yeah. until the like the skin literally couldn't hold any more, and then it would be sewed back together. Hmm. In order to give the stuffed carcass the right shape of the animal, because literally now it's just like a skin yeah. that's stuffed full of Well, they got the whatever. bones back in there. Kind of. Yeah. And so... Yeah, so it's, like, just literally stuffed to the brim. And so in order to give it, like, you know, because animals have shapes and not everything is, like, the same thickness and everything. Keep them all from having dad bods. Right. So in order to, like, get it into the right shape and, like, contours and everything, the mat would then just be beaten by a plank until it looked close enough. Hmm. So I just want to show you, I, I found a picture of what taxidermy looked like in the 1800s, late 1800s, about the time that... Carl was getting into the game. Yeah. And they looked like... The, like, this is a, an example of lions in the late 1800s. Oh, God. <laughs> oh, my God. That's terrifying. Like, the dead carcass next to the lions looks okay, but the lions... <laughs> very cartoonish. Like Yeah. Like, you're like, that's okay, what... that's probably lion fur, but it's literally just... That's like what a lion looked like that I hand drew as a child. Right. I almost think it was, it almost looks like a pillow made out of lion fur. Like a pillowcase made of lion fur. And they just on googly eyes. And they just put in eyes. (laughs) So that's kind of where we're at in taxidermy back in the day. But they could get away with it because nobody had really seen a lion before. And so they could literally... (laughs) 
Could you imagine, like, seeing, like, stuffed lions and then you, like, go see an actual lion and you're like, that is way more terrifying than the taxidermied lion I saw. But yeah, it's like most, the large majority of Americans are never going to see an actual lion. So we can just give them whatever we give them. <laughs> yeah. And they're just going to think, they're like, oh, man, those animals in Africa are crazy looking. Yeah. Like, they don't even look like they're healthy. <laughs> they yeah. Genetic mutants. Yeah. So, not surprising, Carl thought that many of the mounts produced at wards lacked accuracy and detail of the live animals they were supposed to look like. And he was very embarrassed by what they were producing. Like, even as a child, when he was doing, like, these small animals and birds... He tried to go for, you know... Life effect. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And make them look like what they used to look like when they were alive. Yeah. Good job, Carl. In the book Kingdom Under Glass, which was a biography of Carl Akeley, um, it said, These mounts were described as blank-eyed corpses that were no more expressive than parlor room sofas. Mm Mm-hmm. I could agree. That that picture... That that describes that picture perfectly. (laughs) After he got done working his 12-hour shift, Carl would study anatomy and try out new methods that might make the mounts more realistic. Because Ward didn't want his employees to use company time to try anything new, Carl would give up sleep to spend time in the studio after hours, and he gave up meals in order to pay for supplies and lantern fuel so he could work see what night. he was working on. Jeez. The mounts that Carl spent like all... He's literally trying to make this guy more money. Right. At least... Better product. He actually, he's one of those people that actually cares. Well, yeah. The mounts that Carl spent all his time at night to perfect were often sabotaged by his co-workers who would cut his skins into ribbons and smash his molds. Because like they were jealous. Yeah, there was this one story where he, he, stole a, he stole a zebra and he literally spent all night because back then they also, like, you get this dead animal, you mm-hmm. would literally just, like, cut the skin off like however you could get it off mm-hmm. and then you would literally sew it onto pieces and hopefully you get all the pieces in the right spot mm-hmm. so carl <laughs> spends all night on the zebra doing one cut up its belly up its neck and everything right and then cuts around each leg so then he can just like pull Slide off the off. skin yeah pull off the skin so it's yeah that skinned many less- a deer before like that's how you skin a deer right. it's yeah. that many less cuts and then it, that means it's that many less seams you have to sew up and mm-hmm. that means it looks more realistic right so he spends all night cutting up the zebra to get it perfect and he cuts and he comes back the next day and the skin is literally cut to ribbons oh my gosh yeah what a dick who would do that somebody that's just jealous yeah lazy mm-hmm doesn't want him to like Outperform him. Right. So, after working several late nights, a foreman found Carl asleep on the job and reported him to Ward, and Carl was promptly fired. That's the one of the two main rules. No sleeping on the job. Jeez. So, Carl then moved to Brooklyn and began working for a taxidermist named John Wallace, where he spent his days stuffing birds that would then be placed on ladies' hats. So, birds on hats were, like, the huge fashion thing. And they say, like, especially in New York, birds almost went extinct. Like, all kinds of birds almost went extinct in New York. Is that why there's only pigeons there now? Probably. Because they all got, like, murdered and put on hats. Yeah, because hunters would, like, go out and just, like, slay birds. And then they'd bring them back to these taxidermist companies who would then turn them into... Accoutrements. Mounts that would look good on a on hats. Accoutrements for the hats. Yeah. So I also have pictures. This is a very picture-centric episode of what hats in the 1800s look like with birds on them. So they're like full-on birds. Oh, nice. And they're not like small birds. That is awesome. Yeah. <laughs> so they're not like sparrows. I mean, there was sparrows and like hummingbirds and stuff, but there was like full-on big birds like owls, oh, pheasants, and gulls. It looks like they even made a hat for the bird. Yeah. Or, they, would that, get, they would get the bird and they'd be like, how like, can I design a hat around this bird? No, no, no. But I'm saying like, they made the hat, they put the bird on it, and then it looks like there's like a little tiny hat on the bird. Oh, I see what you're saying. Like a headdress. So this is one with an owl on it. It's a full-on oh, sh- owl just sitting on the hat. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. 
That's crazy. I would be terrified if I saw that walking down the street. I heard that some people just had like owl heads on their hats. Hmm. Yeah. Oh, here's another one with an owl with a mouse in its mouth. I like that. Yeah, it's, it's neat, huh? Yeah. So, like, literally this picture. You're literally a walking natural history museum. Yeah, so it's a, like, is that a barn owl? I think so, yeah. So it's a barn owl with a mouse in its mouth sitting on a twig that's on a lady's hat. There's a lot going on. Yeah. It's it's definitely not <laughs> not what you would expect <laughs> no. to see walking on the street. No. Um, and some hats also had whole nests with preserved eggs on it. Hmm. And it's like, could you get a fake bird? No. You had to have a real bird. Real, real eggs. eggs. <laughs> yeah. It's not like we could just carve you some eggs yeah. out of wood and paint like them. It's not like eggs are super easy to make fake. Yeah. Or mold them. Have, yeah. yeah. Jeez. You're not real unless you have real eggs on your hat. Yeah. So Carl worked in And then a- one wasn't preserved properly and you wake up one morning. Mm-hmm. And you got a little baby. You got a little, little, little chicken. Qua- little quail. <laughs> yep. Little baby quail on your head. So Carl worked in a basement of a moldy warehouse located under the Brooklyn Bridge. Carl saw no future at this job where he would often end up skinning one hundred birds a day for fashion, and even considered returning to his family's farm. (laughs) After working there for about six months, Carl received a letter from Professor Ward asking him to come back. Baby, come back! (laughs) (laughs) Ward had realized that Carl's mounts were selling for a lot more money than all of the other mounts, (laughs) and decided to give Carl and his new methods a chance. Carl quit at Wallace's as soon as he was finished reading the letter. Nice. He just threw down his apron. He's like, I'm out. Done. <laughs> Later. This anymore. When P.T. Barnum's elephant Jumbo died after being hit by a train. Yikes. Carl was given the job to stuff the large elephant. It was a tough job since Jumbo had not only been hit by a train, which will mess anybody up, including an elephant. Yeah. Um, Jumbo had also been cut up into a bunch of little pieces by people looking to take a souvenir from the famous elephant. Oh, geez. Yeah. So I will say this. So I've seen elephants in person. Mm-hmm. I don't know what kind of elephant jumbo was but an african elephant yeah but that's what i saw was an african elephant and i don't know like they're big don't get me wrong they're they're massive but they're also they're not as massive i guess as i had imagined sure they're not like a like a two-story building i mean that seems huge but like almost when you see them on discovery channel like they seem like like as big as a freaking house Yeah. yeah 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 but they are huge, but yeah, I can imagine a train would quite easily like turn one to pretty much mush. Yeah, it was actually very surprising though that like the train was also totaled. Oh yeah, and there it was a passenger train, but luckily nobody died. Hmm. The only thing that died was Jumbo. Oh. And then yeah, as soon as people are in that town found out the Jumbo was dead, they're like, oh, and they went out with their pocket knives and just like took like a piece out of that's crazy his skin, just be like, I got a piece of Jumbo. Which is kind of gross. Like, yeah, what are you going to do with it? Your grandchild's like, what's this, Grandpa? It's yeah. like this old weird piece of skin. skin. Yeah, that's furry. Yeah. So weird. So anyways. Because elephant skins have hair. Yeah. So anyways, it was it was a tall order. And this is one of Carl's first assignments right back. after he goes back to Ward. Yeah. So... He works on it for five months, but after that, he he nails it. He cre- he creates a beautiful amount of jumbo. P.T. Barnum is super pleased. He still has him in like parades when they go to new towns, hmm. and he Did had- they put like wheels under the feet so yeah. they just like wheel him down the street. Yeah, yeah. And Carl had even stretched out Jumbo's skin per Barnum's request to make him larger than he was alive. Oh, nice. So after spending another three years working at Ward's, Akeley left to go in the tax. After spending another three years working at Ward's, F- Akeley left to go work in the taxidermy. left to go work in the taxidermy department at the Milwaukee Public Museum in 1886. Carl worked at the Milwaukee Public Museum, honing his taxidermy craft. He often kept several animals in cages in his office so he could study how their body looked while they moved, and it would help him recreate recreate lifelike scenarios in his mounts. 
Carl began to use clay to shape the muscles of a mount that helped his mounts look even more real, and would also place his mounts in a recreated scene of their habitat that would help transport a museum visitor into another place. Right. Because before this, people, they were like, mounts were literally just like on a piece of wood and then just placed in a museum. Yeah. Instead of like today, we usually see... An exhibit. Where there's like, it's an exhibit. Yeah, there's like grass or trees yeah. or yeah, yeah, yeah. We well, remember we went to the Museum of Natural History in New mm-hmm. York City, and yeah, I mean, like it was. You did have like some of the birds. I kind of remember were more like pinned on boards right. with like just an. You know, their common name and then their genus and species. Right, and like a lot of bugs are that way too. Yeah, yeah. But, but yeah, like the bigger animals. Well, not, I mean, animals of all sizes. There right. were some exhibits that you had, you know, it was like birds from, you know, African birds that would be found, you know, out in the desert or the grasslands. Right. Along with the elephants and the, the lions and the zebras. Yeah. So he was like, hey, this will really help transport, transport people. Yeah. Carl left the Milwaukee Public Museum in 1892 and started doing some freelance work until he found another job. He was like, "Eh, I'm just going to kind of go with the flow. Carl had also met a woman named Delia, whom he called Mickey, who took a lot of interest in Carl's work and would often help with the taxidermy herself. Carl was hired by the Field Museum in 1896, and his first assignment was to go to Africa on a hunting expedition where he would collect new specimens that would be brought back to the museum to be turned into mounds. Nice. Carl arrived in Somaliland in April of 1896 and began hunting gazelles, hyenas, kudus, lions, etc., etc., and placed the skins into barrels full of salt to be cured. One day, Carl shot a warthog, but then saw a male-female pair of ostriches. He began to track the ostriches, leaving his warthog kill, hoping they would lead him to a nest of decent-sized chicks that he would be able to take out, like, the whole group in one swoop. Then he'd have, like, this nice family group to display Mm -hmm. in the museum. Yeah. After tracking the ostriches for a long time, he eventually lost them, so he made his way back to his warthog kill. When he got to the place that he had left it, all he found were vulture feathers and hyena tracks. Hmm. He began to walk back to camp. He saw an animal moving through the grass next to him. He quickly fired two shots into the grass, because it's Africa, so you just don't mess around <laughs> right. with like, yeah. Yeah. things slinking in the grass next to you. <laughs> <laughs> right, yeah. Dangerous move. And then once he fired those two shots, that was like he was out of bullets, so he just started to run so that he could then get to a safe enough place to reload a new magazine. He didn't get far when a leopard pounced on him and knocked his rifle out of his hands. Oh, damn. The leopard tried to bite at Carl's throat, but Carl twisted away, and then the leopard bit down on his shoulder. Carl was screaming and thrashing and finally was (laughs) able to pin the leopard under his own body. Yeah. Carl put his knees in the leopard's chest and jammed his elbows into the leopard's armpits, but by now, his left arm was, like, fully, like, his left hand was fully into the leopard's mouth. Mm. Like, the leopard was, like, clamped down on it, and he couldn't get it out. With his free hand, Carl grabbed the leopard by the throat and began to squeeze. When the leopard gagged and tried to take a deep breath, Carl pushed his left arm down into the leopard's throat. (laughs) Further. Yeah. Carl kept squeezing the leopard's throat with one hand and pushing his other hand down every time the leopard gagged. So Carl was losing a lot of blood and was fading in and out of consciousness because he is like his skin is ripped to shreds. His arm is losing a lot of blood because every time he shoves his left arm down, it like goes against the thing. Yeah. 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 So then, with his last bit of energy, Carl like got on top of the leopard and slammed it down into the ground with the full force of his body. Like his knees are in his chest, and he pushes his fist as far down the leopard's throat as he can get it. Carl heard a crack, so he did it again and heard another one of the leopard's ribs snap. Finally, the leopard went limp, and Carl was able to pull his arm out of the leopard's mouth. It was finally dead. Oh my god! Carl had literally. Killed. Strangled? I don't even know if you call it strangled. Yeah. Like, he, like... Yeah, no, he strangled, strangled by shoving it. his arm down his throat. Man. Yeah, like, choked it. Strangled yeah. it. Yeah. 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 So, look, I mean, all that really matters is that he killed the leopard with his bare hands. That's crazy. So, leopard goes limp. Carl pulls his arm out of the leopard and just, like, lays down next to the leopard for a while and is like, 
kind of maybe takes a little bit of a nap. Maybe from blood loss, maybe because he's tired a little bit. I don't think that's a nap. (laughs) So when he comes to, he's like... Good night, Carl. (laughs) So he finally comes to and he's like, all right, I should get back to camp. He's like, but hey, look, I got a leopard for the museum. So he slings the leopard over his shoulder and he walks back to camp. Jeez. So... (laughs) everybody sees him they're like are you okay man <laughs> like his yeah. left arm is like done for like oh it yeah is, just shredded it is shreds yeah yeah so carl returns to chicago shortly after his encounter with the leopard and married delia in 1902 in 1905 carl left to go back to africa she was like no this time with delia she decides to come with him this time yeah and she's like, <laughs> she's like, because I'm not going to let you do anything that stupid again. Yeah. While there, both Delia and Carl killed an African bull elephant each. Hmm. Delia's was the largest elephant, so that had to be like a little, especially back then. She she killed the larger the bull elephant. One. Yeah. And when they brought them back to the Field Museum, Carl created one of his most notable works named The Fighting African Elephants that can still be seen today at the Field Museum. Hmm. President Theodore Roosevelt was a huge fan of Carl's work and visited the Field Museum to admire his mounts and dioramas. Roosevelt was a huge advocate for the conservation movement that was becoming popular across America. Say what? Roosevelt was? (laughs) I had no idea. So So for those people that really have no idea, other than Jeremy being sarcastic... During the early 1900s, Americans finally began to realize that resources that had propelled America into the leading country of the free world were not infinite, like we had kind of felt they were before. Yeah. 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 Like, yeah, we had a lot, but it was also a finite amount. Right. And we were finally starting to realize that in the early 1900s when Roosevelt became president. After slaughtering, slaughtering hundreds, if not hundreds of thousands, if not millions of animals. Right. And digging up coal Mm -hmm. and all of that stuff. So Roosevelt and a bunch of the conservations of the day are like, hey, these resources need to be conserved so we can spread them out before Mm -hmm. America uses them all and we just collapse in on ourselves. Like, if we don't have these resources, what do we have? We don't have a country. We don't have an economy. Right. It's kind of what their thinking is. And I totally agree. It was also known by this time... That animals that we have today are not the same animals that roamed the earth millions of years ago. And animal species often went extinct. Mm -hmm. So many scientists began to hire Carl to kill animals and mount animals that were on the brink of extinction. Uh, Oh, yes. Just one more. (laughs) That's kind of their thinking. They're like, well, so. Well, it's going to die. Yeah. I mean, they're going to be extinct anyways. They're like, due to colonization and like mass hunting of these animals and loss of habitat, they're going to go to extinct soon. So we might as well kill like two, five, ten of them more, just like the last of them. So we can have them in museums. So we can have them in museums. And so people can learn about them and appreciate them for years to come. Or, yeah, or we could just work on not being such or crappy could, people and well, I mean, save. To each their own, really. <laughs> Carl and Delia began to be known as famous hunters across the world. Hmm. In 1909, Carl was hunting in Nairobi and met up with Roosevelt and his Smithsonian Expedition Group. Yeah. So when Roosevelt was no longer president, he went on this huge Safari. hunting expedition to get animals for the Smithsonian Museums. Mm-hmm. And this is when Carl meets up with him. During his Smithsonian expedition, Roosevelt's group killed and trapped around a total of... You ready for this? Mm-hmm. 11,400 animals. Yep. That range from insects to hippos and elephants and brought back around 10,000 plant specimens. Mm-hmm. On their second day of Carl joining Roosevelt's group, Roosevelt and his son killed four elephants. Jeez. In one day that Carl helped skin and then send the skins and tusks back to America. However, none of those elephants had been a bull elephant, so Carl's mission was to kill a bull elephant so Roosevelt's collection could be complete. Mm-hmm. You can't display this in a museum without a daddy elephant. Mm-hmm. While Carl searched for the bull elephant, they were becoming harder and harder to come by because of also the ivory trade. Right. 
Carl came down with several sicknesses while on his Africa trip, including meningitis, blackwater fever, and dysentery. He'd basically get sick, get better, like be better for like a week, and get sick again. Delia would tend to him and then would go out on hunting trips on her own to try to find and shoot a bull elephant. After months of looking for a bull elephant and Carl getting illness after illness, the museum wired the Akeleys a message that they would be sending no more funds. They're like, hey, like you guys have been there too long. We're not paying for this anymore. So the Akeleys sold their small farm to fund the rest of their trip. (laughs) Eventually, Carl and Delia did find a bull elephant. They shot at the elephant. Oh, yes, the last one. (laughs) Let's kill it. They shot at the elephant seven times, but he wouldn't go down. Hmm. Instead, the bull elephant would keep charging it at them. Hmm. They said they would shoot at him, and they would see like a puff of dust every time they hit his skin, and then he would charge at them. They were just like not penetrating his skin. Finally, Carl shot the elephant in the head, and then it went down. But after that, Delia was done. She was done with being charged by elephants. Mm -hmm. She was done dealing with Carl being sick. She said, I want to go home and keep house for the rest of my life. However, they didn't go home and continued traveling around Africa to hunt. Word of a white woman spread to different tribes, and people would come from all over to have her treat their various ailments, even though she had no medical training whatsoever. Hmm. Well, on another elephant hunt, a heavy rainstorm started, and Carl tracked the elephant into a thickly wooded area. But as soon as he got into the wooded area, he lost the tracks. So it could be the rain washed away. It could be the elephant is smart and, like, covered his tracks because elephants can do that. Right. They're smart enough to do that. So he's, like, confused, looking mm-hmm. for where the elephant is. And then all of a sudden, the bull elephant charges out of nowhere and hits Carl in the face with his truck. Jeez. Just smack. Carl's face was cut from ear to ear through his mouth. So, like, basically, like, his mouth. Like no, Joker style. Yeah, his mouth. Yeah, Joker style. literally goes from ear to ear. Wow. And it broke his nose. Carl jumped up, wiped the blood out of his eyes, and when the elephant charged at Carl again, Carl grabbed a tusk with one hand and then, like, swung over and slipped in between the two tusks. <laughs> He's like, can't hit me with your tusks if I'm in between them. Yeah. So... The elephant, realizing this, just goes ahead and headbutts the ground, like, as hard as he can. Oh, jeez. So, crushing Carl between him and the earth. Luckily for Carl, the tusks hit some rocks and didn't didn't completely crush Carl to death. Carl remembered seeing an elephant use his tusk to throw down another man earlier, walk all over him, and then sit on him and rub his butt back and forth until the body was squished on the ground. So elephants don't mess around when they're killing people. They know what they're doing. But maybe because this elephant had a huge headache or thought that Carl was dead, the elephant took off into the woods Hmm. and just left his body there. Carl had a punctured lung and several broken ribs. The native men that were with Carl thought for sure he was dead because he was also passed out. Yeah. And it was against their religion to touch a dead body, so they just left him there. Carl woke up five hours later, laying in a puddle of mud. Delia was told by the natives that Carl had been killed by the elephant. Delia demanded to see the body, but the natives refused to take her until Delia threatened them at gunpoint. (laughs) (laughs) Take me to my husband. (laughs) He is not leaving me here by myself. When they went looking for the body, Delia fired three shots in the air, hoping Carl was still alive, and Carl answered back with three shots of his own. Nice. When Delia found Carl, his head had been scalped, one of his eyes wouldn't open, and one of his cheeks had been sliced open so that his teeth were showing. Delia brought him back to camp, and once there, Carl drank a whole bottle of alcohol. I don't know what kind of alcohol. It just said alcohol. (laughs) Slurped some broth and then took some quinine and passed out. Nice. They stayed in the camp for weeks while Delia nursed Carl back to health. Delia would also go hunting so that she could bring back food for Carl to eat and gain his strength back. After Carl healed enough, Carl and Delia went to Uganda instead of just going home. Jeez. What's wrong with these people? Just go back to America for a little bit. Yeah, I mean, uh, you've killed enough. Yeah, you got plenty. Yeah. You got your bull elephant. Yeah. What are you doing here? 
So, yeah. So once they get to Uganda, they found a huge crocodile next to a river, and Carl shot it. It died, and one of Carl's porters jumped into the river to go retrieve the body. But he was promptly eaten by another crocodile. Oh no, how are they going to get their dead crocodile? So Carl decided that he would just go get the croc's body himself. (laughs) This guy deserves to die. Like, at this point, like, I'm just like, how, Carl, are you not dead? Just wait, you're really going to like this. (laughs) So, while swimming, he's swimming, and then he, like, stands up or, like, gets out of the water enough to shoot crocodiles that are coming towards him with his gun, and he has his other guides, like... like hitting crocodiles with like pieces of wood. Yeah, just like bats and they're yeah. just beating them away. Yeah, so both of those are happening. He finally makes it to the river to get the croc's body. So he gets there, he's like, oh, I'm kind of tired. I don't want to really drag this croc's body back. This massive crocodile that I just shot. So what does he do? He jumps on the croc's body. Rides it like a canoe. Rides it like a canoe. <laughs> My God. He uses his rifle as an oar, and he paddles back across the river. (laughs) (laughs) This is ridiculous. So, (laughs) soon after shooting the crocodile, Carl came down with malaria. Delia nursed Carl back to health again. And while in Africa, Delia became fascinated with monkeys and primates. She loved to just watch them for hours and would try to communicate with them and had some success. Like, we know you can communicate with monkeys and primates, at least to a certain level. Right. And she was able to do it, at least a little bit. One day, one of their porters caught a baby vervet monkey. Right before he released it, Delia was like, no, I'm going to keep this as my own baby. <laughs> Jeez. Do you think that she was the normal one in the relationship? Yes. Well, she might have been, but she she's kind of losing it. She's after losing being it after seeing married to Carl for so long. Yeah. After seeing him come back for the first time with his arm <laughs> being mauled by a leopard. Yeah, and then after seeing him after the elephant, and then seeing him ride a crocodile like a canoe across the river. So, might be a redneck if you've ever <laughs> taken a crocodile. And- kayaked across the river so now delia and carl had never had any children of their of their own good so this monkey (laughs) became basically delia's baby yeah delia named the little girl monkey jt Mm -hmm. delia vowed to never punish the monkey no matter what it did which is a terrible rule You can, I mean, that's Do you just, know how much shenanigans monkeys get up to? I feel like even when she, like, if she ever said that out loud, they're like, somebody was like, well, this is foreshadowing. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just even in the moment. The monkey would eat breakfast with Delia and Carl and slept in the same cot as Delia. As the monkey got older, it became more and more aggressive. It began to nip and then full on bite anyone that kind of even annoyed it. Mm-hmm. When Delia and Carl moved back to New York City, they're finally going back, they brought JT with them. JT got her own room in their apartment. JT kept getting more aggressive and started shredding Delia's clothing and would destroy anything that wasn't bolted down. Delia got another monkey to act as a playmate for JT, but it died shortly after moving in with the Akeleys. Because she didn't want JT to be alone in the apartment, Delia would stay in the apartment, one time as long as not going outside for three weeks, just to keep JT company. Is this foreshadowing about Delia being going crazy? I mean, I mean... Because she stayed inside with the monkey for three, for three weeks. I mean, I think she's max crazy right now. Yeah. JT kept destroying their apartment by flooding the bathroom, breaking dishes, <laughs> ripping curtains and pillows, and just kept biting Worst roommate <laughs> ever. But I'm not going to punish her. <laughs> She's my good baby. Yeah. One day, Delia was bitten on the ankle by JT. The bite became so infected, and three days after the bite occurred, her leg became so swollen that Delia called her doctor. Her doctor determined that Delia needed surgery. But Delia refused to leave JT for the surgery, so her doctor performed the surgery in their apartment. So JT oh my was right there with her. Oh my gosh! Delia's late. That poor doctor. Delia's- they did not pay him enough. <laughs> no matter what they paid him. Yeah, it was not enough. Delia's leg took six months to heal from the bite. 
Delia stopped leaving the apartment altogether just to spend time with JT. So now she's max crazy. Mm. Then JT bit Delia's wrist near a vein, like almost pulling her artery out of her body. And Carl was done with the monkey. He's like, that's it. I'm not. I'm not doing this anymore. Yeah. Carl is now the voice of reason in this relationship. Wow. How the tables have turned. Yes. Carl shipped JT off to a zoo in Washington, D.C. Well, that was not cool with Delia, her one and only child, being sent away. So she volunteered to work for the American forces in France during World War I in 1918. She was gone for over a year. Carl filed for divorce on grounds of desertion, and their divorce was finalized in 1920. Hmm. So was it a monkey that caused their divorce? Was it Carl, just in general? I think it it was just. I think it was just both of their like crappy. Like neither one of them felt like cared for each other really. Yeah, they just were like all all about the adventure. Yeah, they were they were in it for the. If Instagram was a thing back then, like, they were doing it for the gram. gram. Doing it for the gram. (laughs) After the divorce, Carl became obsessed with gorillas. That's weird. I don't know if it was, like, because, like, primates and monkeys are so close, or, I don't know, or gorillas are close to humans. She's just just into gorillas. Or the the one that he saw the first time he walked up towards. Oh, that was an ape. Uh, No, it was a gorilla. Yeah. So, he went to Africa and shot a few gorillas to mount, because what do you do if you're Carl and you you like something? You shoot it, and you mount it, yeah. and kill it. Surprised he didn't shoot Del- Delia, right. his wife. When he first met her, I, I like you, I like I'm going to mount you, you and stuff. And you mounted in my bedroom, and you will never leave me. <laughs> yeah. Which there are stories like that, but where no, people, no, like, I'm, weird yeah. sociopaths, like, dig up bodies of... It's like a joke about that, but, like... Like, yeah. maybe he would have done yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, So, sorry. He mounted a few of them, but he just, like, always felt different when he was mounting them. Just, like, something about it was different. In 1921, when he was in the Belgian Congo, he was tracking a group of silverback gorillas. One of Carl's guides spotted a male silverback across the canyon from where they were at, so they decided to climb down and back up the other side of the canyon to reach the gorilla. Carl started to feel sick, because he's always sick. <laughs> And by the time that they got to the top of the other side of the canyon, he had a full-on fever. Nevertheless, Carl and his guides climbed the trees, hoping to spot the silverback. They saw him, and one of Carl's guides shot it while it was coming towards them. The gorilla fell between Carl and the guide, barely missing taking them out and taking them down the canyon with it. Jeez. So so the gorilla gets shot mid-run, falls over the canyon ledge, but luckily, instead of going all the way to the bottom of the canyon, get stopped by a tree yeah. like on the edge of the canyon. Yeah. So, in order to skin the gorilla, one of his Carl's guides was holding his feet while he was just like upside down, skinning oh it while it was being just held by a tree. He, and I'm sure he's feeling great, just yeah. like sweat and pouring off like, him. He's he feverish. Also got fever, probably malaria. Yeah, probably diarrhea like too. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah, just, just real guts. good. Yeah. yeah, he's got one bum arm, yeah. like one bad eye. When Carl and his guides got back to camp, Carl just sat there with the gorilla's head in his lap, just like staring into its eyes. That is creepy. <laughs> Somebody's like, hey, is Carl okay? Yeah. <laughs> no, he's not okay. Yeah. Like, maybe we should get this guy out of here. Yeah. Carl was unnerved by all of the personality he could see in the gorilla's face. While on his way back to New York, Carl had a change of heart. He decided that he would no longer kill animals to stuff them for the enjoyment of well, humans. Well, goddamn it, finally. <laughs> Jesus, Carl. Took you long enough. He did. 37,000 animals later. <laughs> he now saw what he had been doing all these years as murder. What? <laughs> like, just stuffing them for fun. Yeah. yeah. What do you think, Carl? Carl spent the rest of his life working for a gorilla preserve and convinced King Albert I of Belgium to establish the Albert National Park that became Africa's first national park, Mm. where gorilla hunting was prohibited. He still collected animal bodies for scientific study, but only if they died of natural consequences. Mm -hmm. Carl used his relationship with Roosevelt to set up the American National Parks Association and created several national parks and wildlife preserves in America. 
1926, Carl went back to the Congo to study gorillas. He contracted a fever, probably malaria or something, because who knows? Who he's knows just, what he he's contracted? He's just so susceptible at this point. <laughs> yeah. like. But this time he dies at the age of 62. Carl was buried where he died, which was only a couple of miles from where he saw his first gorilla in 1921. Hmm. On top of being one of the best taxidermists and conservationists, Carl was also a prolific inventor. Can we put an asterisk next well, to the conservationist? conservationist? Yeah. I mean, to be fair, at the time, for the early 1900s, he was a great conservationist. Yeah. Especially in his later years. Okay. That's what I mean by that. Yeah. That's true. I mean, he did against a lot against conservation, but then he did a lot for it. Yeah. <laughs> so, Carl was also a prolific inventor mm-hmm. and invented shotcrete. Oh, really? Yeah. Which is, for those who don't know, is basically a cement gun yeah. that he created to help repair the deteriorating facade of the Field Columbian Museum in Chicago. Hmm. Yeah. Isn't that cool? Yeah. <laughs> Just random. Yeah. In 1915, Carl also patented the Akeley motion picture pancake camera that was a highly mobile motion picture he designed to shoot gorillas and was later used by the War Department and newsreel companies to capture aerial footage of the war. Over Carl's lifetime, he was awarded over 30 patents. Jeez. And that is the story of Carl Akeley, like the greatest taxidermist probably of our time. Yeah. Of all time. Not necessarily our time, because I wasn't... Yeah, not our time. All time. (laughs) Yeah. My sources for the story were Kingdom Under Glass, A Tale of Obsession, Adventure, and One Man's Quest to Preserve the World's Great Animals by Jay Kirk, Carl Akeley, an article by the Field Museum, and Wrestling Leopards, Felling Apes, A Life in Taxidermy, an article by NPR. So, so like, I feel like he did... did a lot of good things. Yes. Like taxidermy definitely like provides like myself as a, a wildlife resources undergrad. Like we used taxidermy birds and fish and I didn't have an, any entomology insect classes, but I saw them and they were throughout our whole facility. Like it was great to study them and be able to be like, Oh, like these are the features and like this are like the, you know, no, absolutely characteristics of this of well, the species. And like we were saying before, when we went the, to the Natural History Museum, like I loved seeing those. Yeah, because like, where else are you going to see them? Because like, in order to see those animals, or to, like know, literally, you can go and see different scenes from seven different continents. Right, it's amazing. All in one place. Yeah. I mean, I'm sad that they. So probably, it's an important thing, but I also. Think, I'm sad that they killed way more animals than they ever needed to. Right, and like on, on the flip side of it, you know, it's one of those things like, uh, it was the culture of the time, and like I think the science of it, like you were saying, the science of it for the time, like that was, you know, their thoughts were well, they're gonna go extinct. Let's get a few good mounts so we can see what they look like in the future. You know. Right. Well, and it's like I was saying is like. He literally helped set up the first national park in Africa, mm-hmm. the whole continent, mm-hmm. which is huge. Mm-hmm. Like, before then, it was like there was no rules. Mm-hmm. And so, literally, things were going extinct left and right, mm-hmm. especially with all of the colonization that was happening in Africa. Sure. So, I don't know. It's definitely a mixed bag. And yeah. It's just kind of one yeah. of those... It's, it's crazy. It's, it's a crazy kind of story. One of those it's a bizarre that I, story. But I feel like in any of our stories, it's like, oh, this person did these gr- so many great things, and they also did these really sucky things, but that's just, like, yeah. people are all I'm just... Off, a- I'm often reminded of Yin <laughs> and Chang, like... Yeah, people are just a combination of, like, great and sucky things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, at the end of the day, he, he ended with compassion, and he realized that... The error of some of his ways. and I was going to show that. you, um, so I showed you the picture of the lions <laughs> that were badly done. Yeah, so that was this, terrible. So this is a picture of an Akeley lion diorama. Oh, wow. And like you can see like their muscle tone looks yeah. right and they look real. <laughs> well, I'm not a, I didn't take physiology of lions, but yeah, it looks. They don't look like. They kind of look roided out almost. They <laughs> do a little bit. Like, they're almost too muscly. <laughs> well, I mean, probably just... 
I don't know. Very well defined. Looks good. That's amazing. Way better than that. Oh, yeah. Picture I showed you before. Oh, my gosh. That was terrible. It quite literally just looked like a child drew... Like pillows with googly eyes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And these lions, like, they look... Like, I would never <laughs> guess that that's a, that's a stuffed diorama. I, you could pass that off as a... As a photo? Yeah. Of them in the wild. Lions in the wild. That was an igly diorama that Carl had done? Yeah. And then this one more picture. That's like just a little bit of him with the leopard that he <laughs> murdered <laughs> and him staring at the murder or him staring at the leopard like it's going to well, come back to life. And his arm all bandaged up. Yeah. Yeah. All the way up to the shoulder. <laughs> he's he's kind of a, I don't know, not what I, not what I pictured a Carl, but. He's um, a tall, skinny dude. A grizzly man. Yeah. Grizzly looking man. But I don't know if he was skinny just because that's his body type or because he was literally sick all the time. It's hard to say. Presidential trivia. Which vice president's daughter married their president's grandson? Yeah. Do you have any guesses? Nope. Okay. It was Richard Nixon's daughter married Eisenhower's grandson. Say what? Yeah. (laughs) So, on December 22nd, 1968, Julie Nixon and David Eisenhower tied the knot in New York City. So, at the time that they got married, Richard Nixon was the president-elect of the country. Yeah. Julie and David had met when they were both eight years old, when Eisenhower was seeking re-election, and Nixon was his vice president. (laughs) And they both met at the RNC. And then they kind of just kept running into each other, and then they officially started dating when they were both 19 years old in 1967. Wow. That was crazy. Yeah. Crazy, crazy. So it's even uh, who's, so that could have even worked as whose president's daughter married another president's grandson. Mm Mm-hmm. But just all kinds of entanglement. Yeah. If you like this podcast, we ask that you just share it with somebody you know. We also ask that you guys, you know, tell us your own stories. Um, also, if you have any pictures of crazy taxidermy, like badly done Would taxidermy, love to see. I always love to see badly done taxidermy. Yes, those are some of my favorite things. <laughs> so, like, looks like the scratch, the scroll from Ice Age. Like yes. The, yes. So you can either go to americathebizarre.com and fill out our contact form, or you can just send us an email directly at bizarreusa at gmail.com. And we would love to hear from you, even if it's not poorly done taxidermy, even if it's just a story of taxidermy or a story for a future episode that you have. We just want to hear from you. Yeah. I always uh, appreciate running into fans out in the wild. <laughs> Absolutely. There's, there's a few that I personally know and appreciate everyone's support. So thank you, thank you all for listening. And we just hope that you guys all stay safe. Stay healthy. And until next time, stay, stay weird, weird, America. America.